We have uh, announced last year, which was a big step in our strategy, we have announced net zero carbon emission strategy. And to achieve this net zero, there are several actions which are taken in all our activities, not only renewables, obviously, but there is also the idea to grow our share of mix in renewables. So we are targeting by 2050 to have 40% renewables and electricity in general, 40% gas and the rest in oil. And to achieve that, obviously, it requires an absolutely massive development of our renewables portfolio. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Energy Unplugged. I'm Mateusz Szranski, the Head of Digital Solutions at Aurora. And my guest on today's show is the creator and current head of the renewables division at one of the largest energy companies in the world. Before that, he served in the cabinet of the French President François Hollande, where he was responsible for overhauling the French nuclear industry which for those of our listeners who are less familiar with the French system is responsible for some 70-80% of all power produced in France. An engineer by training, he graduated from Ecole Polytechnique and uh, amongst his other roles, he currently serves as the chief engineer of the prestigious Corps des Mines. My guest on today's show is Julien Pouget, Senior Vice President for Renewables at Total. Julien, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hello, Mathieu. Julien, uh, let me start by asking a little bit about your background and, and your journey. So some six years ago, you were uh, entrusted by the French president with a, a mammoth task of overhauling the French nuclear sector. Um, French nuclear sector, like I said, is a massive part of the economy and not exactly known for embracing change. So two questions, really. How did you find yourself in that role and, and how did you go about it? So actually, I was in charge of uh, advising uh, about all uh, industry-related questions, the present first, and then also uh, some uh, digital-related matters. But when I started, uh, quite quickly, the situation on the, in the French nuclear industry uh, was quite complicated with uh, heavy um, uh, difficulties, notably for Areva. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you may know, and there was uh, really a question of how to um, turn around uh, this uh, this company and uh, more generally the, the sector. Uh, it happened that I had worked in the nuclear industry in the past uh, when I was working for uh, Alstom, so uh, I had a bit of uh, knowledge of this uh, this industry. Uh, so this is the reason why I, I started to, to work on the, on the matter and to leverage on, on my knowledge to, to contribute to this uh, overall of the nuclear industry in France. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that, uh, like I said, it's a pretty daunting task. Uh, an, an industry that's, that's massive is not exactly, like I said, known for, um, for being particularly agile and prone to changing. So what were the biggest challenges in, in implementing that change and, and what exactly was your uh, agenda and, and your goal? 
the situation, I mean, of the, the industry at this stage was uh, really, um, really complicated. Uh, so, which, which is, uh, I would say, uh, in a way, a good situation to implement changes because, you know, when you have, when all the people, when the, you know, unions and um, the, the, the overall industry is convinced that change is absolutely necessary, it's a bit easier to implement uh, the, the, the change. Uh, we we uh, jointly with the industry, we, we studied the, the situation what led basically to the split of uh, Areva into uh, two uh, companies, one which is uh, Framatone, which was uh, you know, the nuclear construction arm of Areva, and the other part which became today Orano. Uh, and I, I, for what I see, uh, the, 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 this uh, transformation has been uh, successfully implemented, and I believe that uh, things are... Uh, working now on a better, uh, better path. Mm. So it seems like we reached an inflection point and a critical mass to actually push that change forward. Um, okay, so, um, so you focus on nuclear and, 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 and were part of the team implementing change. Why did you move to renewables? Because nuclear, like you said, was a big part of your career to that date. Um, why move to renewables? It's true that I spent a significant part of my career working on energy-related topics. Mm. And obviously, especially when you look at the power sector, uh, renewables are very clearly the future. So I was uh, very happy towards the opportunity, which has been proposed to me by the CEO of Total, Patrick Pouyanné, to contribute to developing uh, this um, activity at Total. It seems from my perspective that... Uh looking at your current role that you seem to have specialized in driving difficult change so after after driving the change for the nuclear industry you in in total which is an oil super major created the renewables division and, and focused on that what are the key challenges in this situation in shifting the focus of an organization like total and i suppose how do you compare that to driving that change as a part of the public sector previously it's a very interesting situation at total uh, I was expecting a bit of difficulties to contribute to this, uh, what is now uh, seen as a transformation of the group. Actually, there was a lot of support from the overall organization. So everybody at Total has been very supportive to the, the development of the renewables arm of Total. It has been a very positive uh, journey, uh, and it is true not only at the top of the company, but I would say across the whole company. So I was very impressed and a bit uh, surprised that there was zero resistance to this change. So actually, the change part, uh, the conviction part, I would say, of this uh, change was the, uh, the easy part of it. Obviously, it's a bit different from our, uh, I would say, historical and current core business, so there were uh, things to adjust, and we got a lot of support from the top of management of the group to implement this change and to, I would say, uh, treat renewables uh, in a way that uh, allowed us to grow uh, in a relatively uh, quick way. Because uh, maybe as you have seen, we had, uh, when I started with 300 megawatts, basically in operation of uh, mostly solar projects, Today, we have uh, 7.5 gigawatts in operation, more than 5 gigawatts of projects under construction uh, across uh, PV, wind, 
offshore wind, uh, battery storage. We have uh, developed a portfolio of uh, 23 gigawatts of uh, solar wind offshore wind projects. So obviously the scale has changed. We are in the middle of this uh, evolution, this transformation, but I, I would say uh, thanks to the support of the management of the group at all levels, we've been able to implement this change in a very, very smooth way. And in addition to that, to be frank, there are difficulties, but there are also a lot of, uh, there is also a lot of potential. I mean, when you have the financial and industrial strengths of a group like Total uh, supporting your activity, it's, uh, in my opinion, a major differentiating factor to uh, be able to deploy such a new activity. Can I ask you a bit more about these uh, difficulties you mentioned? It's interesting, I think, from many of our listeners' perspective, what an oil supermajors transition like this towards renewables looks like from the inside. What are, what, what are the kind of key obstacles to overcome still? You know, uh, renewables projects are investment projects, and we are used to investing in uh, huge projects, but there are some uh, differences compared to uh, oil and gas uh, projects. For example, we know very well the resource, solar resource, which is very different in the oil and gas sector. We know very well, in general, the revenues. You see, this is evolving a bit, but we, in general, have uh, corporate or uh, public PPAs. So this makes the renewable investments a bit different from usual uh, investment, historical investments from, from, uh, from the group. And this led to a bit of change. Financing is a very important part of our model. And we had to adjust our uh, business model to take into account these specificities. And also to ensure that our investors would accept and support these uh, heavy investments in this new energy. Our investors obviously are used to, uh, I would say, a very significant uh, level of uh, cash flows and returns on projects which are much more risky in a way. Here you have uh, stable cash flows, quite predictable, and you have a bit lower returns, which you can compensate through leveraging with uh, senior debt, but also leveraging with what we uh, now do as part of our model, farm downs, and then you, you come back to double-digit returns which are more acceptable, especially because you have uh, long-term, well-understood cash flows. Uh, and so uh, our investors understand uh, and support this model uh, that we have uh, developed. So leverage seems like it's the key part of getting your I suppose, equity IRR and return profile in line with your historical profile in, in the oil and gas space. Is that, is that a fair... For, for, yeah, it's correct. It's, it's exactly the business model that we have uh, put in place and disclosed, by the way, which is to so uh, to uh, we, we have the project level uh, IRR, which is obviously uh, low, as you know, in in the renewable space compared to what we are used to. Then we lever it uh, with a significant amount of uh, senior debt, and then we found down basically half of our share. And as you know, there is plenty of money flowing in this sector, so the, the returns are quite attractive here. 
And the combination of these various stages of leverage uh, lead us to uh, a level of uh, return, which is uh, double digit and more acceptable for uh, our shareholders. But the, 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 pro the nature of risk is nonetheless slightly different. And I suppose investors in oil markets, uh, I suppose, understand these risks quite well that pertain to the um, carbohydrates industry. Is that uh, explaining this new profile of risk? Is that something that's, I suppose, how do, do, do investors embrace that new types of risk? Do you find yourself uh, spending a lot of time educating investors as to how this differs from the previous model? You know, it's true that electricity is new, uh, relatively new, I would say, uh, to, the, to the group. Uh, and it's quite different from oil and gas, as I was saying. Uh, but our investors, they understand that uh, the, I said, the predictability of cash flow, the predictability of our returns is quite different. So you have a kind of risk reward profile, which is different from the other side of our business. And this has also a value. And as you may know, it's very significantly recognized by the markets today when you take uh, some of our uh, pure renewable, uh, uh, I would say, peers or competitors in the market today. I just wanted to drill down a bit more on that risk question. So in various surveys and from, from our own conversations with institutional investors, with, with pension funds, with insurers, uh, often they mention price risks, maybe alongside liquidity risks, as, as, as one of the key challenges or barriers to invest in um, renewables. How do you see these price risks and what is Total's uh, and your strategy of mitigating them? It's true that the concept of having predictable cash flows uh, requires not only to know well the resource, which is the case in uh, solar and wind, for instance, but also to know well your price. So the, the price is a key, uh, key topic. So our strategy here is very clear. Uh, we are looking for corporate PPAs or we are looking for public uh, PPAs, but we want to have our revenues covered for a period of time by PPAs in order to have this price visibility, uh, which uh, obviously reduces a lot, uh, almost down to zero, the, the price-related risks. And do you see the, the PPA market growing at a significantly enough rate? Because 100 gigawatts, so maybe just uh, zooming out, uh, your, your target is 100 gigawatts, and I would like to come back to that in a second. Uh, but that is a lot of green power. Do you see the corporate PPA market growing enough to be able to absorb obviously not just your target, by, but the very ambitious uh, goals that uh, uh, both the private and the public sector have in this space? We are seeing the, the, the very, very uh, significant growth of the PPA, corporate PPA market today. Uh, and to be frank, we were one of the largest corporate PPA off-takers last year, and uh, probably also this year, because we decided to uh, use a large share of our portfolio of solar farms under development in Spain to cover 100% of our electricity consumption in Europe. And we are doing exactly the same this year in the US. So it's a massive corporate PPA that we, are, we have put in place between our solar farms in Spain and Europe and our solar farms in the US and uh, our activities, our sites, our industrial sites in, uh, in the US. 
And we see a lot of uh, other players, a lot of uh, other industries also uh, taking the same uh, route. And uh, I see personally a massive growth in the, in the corporate PPA as well, yes. So one might say you're leading by example by uh, signing big PPAs yourselves. I think it was a, it was a good way to support our projects too at first. And, uh, you know, uh, applying uh, your talk to yourself is, uh, is quite uh, a good way to, to uh, you know, to pave the way for uh, further uh, partnerships with uh, other companies. And this is what we are doing uh, today. Huh? We have uh, now signed uh, several corporate PPAs and we see that going uh, in Spain, we see that going in the US, obviously, where the market is there for, for now quite a long time and very, uh, very active. And we see that growing basically in, in a lot of geographies in the world. So I said I would come back to the target uh, itself, 100 gigawatts by 2030. And it is one of the most ambitious renewables goals in the industry. It's more ambitious than majority of your peers from the oil and gas sector, but also uh, majority of traditional power utilities. I suppose my question is why 100 gigawatts other than it's a, it's a nice round number and, and, and why now? We have uh, announced last year, uh, which was a big step in our strategy, we have announced a net zero carbon emission strategy. And to achieve this net zero, there are several actions which are taken in all our activities, not only renewables, obviously, but there is also the idea to grow our uh, mix, share of mix in renewables. So we are targeting by 2050 to have 40% renewables and electricity in general, 40% gas, and the rest in uh, oil. Uh, and to achieve that, obviously, it requires an absolutely massive development of our renewables portfolio. We have put, I would say, milestones. And when you look at where we should be in 2030 in order to be able to reach our ambition for 2050, I mean, this 100 gigawatts is basically the, the, the result of this uh, calculation. We really have the ambition to reach this uh, 100 gigawatts by uh, 2030. And then there was a question, are we really able to achieve that? Uh, and this is why we have worked also uh, on a milestone in 2025 based on what we have achieved up to, up to now. And when you look at what we have achieved, so today, as I said, we have 7.5 gigawatts in operation. We have more than 5 gigawatts under construction, and we have a portfolio of 23 gigawatts. So we were convinced that we could achieve a level of 35 gigawatts in operation by 2025. And when you look at our plans and our portfolio of projects, it looks like very credible to add 10 gigawatts per year after 2025 and then to be very close to uh, the figure of uh, 100 gigawatts by 2030. It's a huge scale-up, nonetheless, like you said, say, it's, it sounds achievable, and, uh, but it's from 7.5 to 100 in, uh, in nine years or so. Um, what makes you confident that, that you can deliver on that target? And, and I suppose what further change? So you mentioned some changes. You mentioned a lot of support internally um, and a clear strategy around financing, but are there any further changes that, that will be required to reach that target organizationally for Total? Well, first, there is a, the market is there. So it's a, it's a good uh, 
good foundation, I mean, to, to achieve our, uh, our ambition. So the market is huge, as you know, uh, and André Gigawatt is a share of this huge market development. Second, we are also convinced that we can achieve that because of what we have already achieved over the last few years and the way we have been able in 2020 and now 2021 to grow our portfolio of projects under development, under construction. So based on that, we feel confident that we can grow our development arm in order to be able to achieve the, the first uh, target, which is 2025, and then uh, go on developing a significant um, amount of projects. In terms of organization, obviously, it's, um, it's, it's a challenge because uh, delivering all these projects requires, obviously, a kind of industrialization of the delivery of the projects and then the operation of the projects compared to uh, what we have been doing over the last few years. And this is where the, the group has decided to you know, combine all our Uh, technical and project resources, uh, technology resources under one significant large organization, central organization that we call OneTech, and which will be uh, several thousands of engineers, uh, which will be uh, dedicated to all our activities, so not only the renewables, but the, really the idea is to leverage on the existing strengths in project deployment and project implementation, and also in uh, design, uh, engineering in general, to uh, leverage them to implement our portfolio of projects in the renewable space. Mm -hmm. So a, a big internal consolidation and an industrialization of the process. To come back to this, huh, it's, it's really uh, supported internally as a decade of transformation for the group. So this one tech is part of this transformation. The deployment of our portfolio in renewables is also part of this transformation. And as another example, uh, we also want not only so to leverage our technical skills, but also to leverage our international footprint. We are active in 130 countries in the world and more than 50 with a very significant presence. And I think it's a, it's a specificity of um, uh, our uh, company and our peers so that we can leverage on this uh, footprint by deploying uh, renewables uh, experts in the field and uh, allowing us to grow quicker our portfolio of uh, renewables projects. And do you see that being a, a general trend? So for, for companies, I suppose, like... Um oil and gas super majors entering the space and leveraging that scale. Do you suspect or do you think that this will lead to a, a higher level of concentration in renewable space? At the same time, we also obviously see some um, trends pointing to the opposite. What do you think, what do you think the equilibrium here is? It's difficult to say because as, as we discussed earlier, the, the, the market is huge and it's growing very quickly. And there, there is a lot of tailwinds to the increase in the market. So there is, there is room for a, a lot of players. We have been participating to some extent to, to the concentration of the market. And there have been several, uh, not, not only buyers, obviously, but several uh, acquisitions uh, well known uh, over the last few years. So there is a clear trend for uh, concentration. But also what we see, and we are uh, quite happy with that, is that we have also been 
able to develop our projects in a, I would say, semi-organic way. So we have developed our own uh, team of uh, developers, organically. Uh, we are working with local developers also. And we see that it's a nice way to uh, grow our portfolio. It's a nice way also because, uh, as you may know, the, uh, today, the, I would say the, the, the market is uh, very, very active and prices for uh, acquisition are, uh, I would say, extremely high. So it's also good to have built our own forces to be able to develop our own projects organically and not only by a small concentration in the, in the market. Interesting. And do you think that um, that focus on developing your own project, is that, and, and I suppose starting from Greenfield, uh, is that also a part of uh, your strategy to chase higher risk return? I think that's probably still a part of the industry where the profile is uh, slightly more risky. Is that, is that fair to say? Is that a part of your strategy? I mean, we are, we are doing a mix of uh, greenfield development. We are also uh, entering into pipelines under development or in uh, various stages of development. We are also uh, jointly developing because, as you know, in the oil and gas industry, partnering is part of the DNA. So we like partnering with, uh, with uh, other companies uh, of various sizes. So we are quite open on the way to build our portfolio but we are really driven by value. Uh, I mean, we really uh, want to and have to and have systematically managed to uh, get to the level of profitability on the project that we are looking for. And I suppose one endeavor that looks both particularly risky, but particularly also uh, maybe able to leverage your uh, capabilities, which is something you mentioned before, uh, and something I think a lot of our listeners are particularly interested in is, is floating offshore wind. Could you tell us a bit more about this and, and total strategy in floating uh, offshore wind? Before discussing about floating offshore, I would like to speak about offshore. Obviously, we like uh, a lot offshore wind now because it's idle sectors, large-scale projects, which is fit with our other activities, and we can really leverage our technical skills of uh, the offshore field uh, to these uh, offshore wind activities. We have been entering this field with a Seagreen project in the UK, which is under construction today, jointly with SSE. Uh, and we have been developing our positions in uh, offshore wind over the last few, few months. And now we have uh, built, I think, a quite a significant uh, level of uh, portfolio of projects, uh, some under construction, other under development, and we will go on developing this, uh, this report. Floating offshore is a bit less mature, obviously, but we believe there is a huge potential here. And this is also an area where I believe we can contribute through, through our technical knowledge a lot to the industrialization of this technology. So this is why we have really decided to, to invest a lot here. We have now a portfolio of more than 2.5 gigawatts of projects uh, in uh, South Korea, in the UK, a bit in France. And we will uh, grow this uh, portfolio. We are developing these projects, obviously. And we are also investing heavily in uh, research and development on this uh, technology. And we are convinced that there is a lot to do. Obviously, the, the, a 
key, uh, key enabler is to manage to industrialize it and to bring it to the level of cost which are uh, competitive to, for the market. And do you think that's a matter of how many years to, to bring these costs down? And, and I suppose what makes you confident this is doable? Uh, it's a, obviously a difficult question because there is still a lot to do uh, in this field. But when you look at the potential and the load factors that you can reach, um, I mean, by leveraging uh, what we can bring to this, uh, to this industry, we are quite convinced that there is a, there is a way to, uh, to um, competitiveness. Big bet on renewables in, in, I suppose, upstream, but you're also, as Total, um, with your recent acquisitions, very much entering the retail space. Question, why pursue this effective vertical integration in, in power? We, we are present across the full value chain in our other activities, and it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense to be there also in the electricity sector. We are not only by the way present in the, in the upstream part, in the generation part on, on the customer side, but we are also very active in trading and trading is a key part to be able to deliver, for instance, corporate PPAs, which are um, competitive uh, and based for our customers. And this is what we did for what we call our green electricity uh, contracts, uh, both in the US and in Europe. To be, uh, if I take the example of Europe, we have been converting our solar electricity from Spain into uh, base load electricity for all our sites in Europe. That is very interesting because I think um, some would say the jury is still out, or at least there's still a lot of debate as to whether um, this industry will end up more vertically integrated or what we've seen in the last few years, some driving according amongst utilities to effective disintegration and splitting these roles, the various roles. So it's interesting that Total is betting on that integrated across value chain strategy. Uh, Julien, I wanted to also ask you a couple of questions that are um, slightly more about the industry itself and less about Total. So you have a uh, rich perspective on both nuclear and, and renewables. And um, there's a lot of debate also about the role of uh, nuclear in bringing on the decarbonized power sector. How do you see that, um, I suppose, coexistence of these two technologies? Nuclear obviously isn't particularly flexible. Res needs flexibility. Um, France is still betting on, I think, uh, new reactors. Um, yeah, how do you see squaring that circle? Uh, I will not comment too much on the nuclear side, but I, I, I will comment on, the, on your point regarding the intermittency of uh, renewables. Uh, obviously, uh, renewables are intermittent, so there is a lot of work to, uh, to, uh, bring, to bring it to the level of being a full solution for the uh, electricity uh, and the power sector. Uh, we already see that the combination of PV and wind offers uh, a bit a better profile than if you just uh, you know, take the, the profile of uh, PV, for instance, alone. But we also see uh, a strong development of uh, battery storage. Battery storage is uh, obviously becoming more and more competitive with the decreasing costs of batteries. And this is contributing, in our opinion, to uh, the, this can contribute to um, partially 
to the, to the, to the intermittency of renewables. On top of that, as you may know, Total has been developing a portfolio of gas assets, a combined cycle of power plants in, um, in Europe, uh, which are at this stage a necessary complement to renewables because, as you said, they are intermittent. On that note, um, hydrogen, I suppose, has been a big topic. Uh, it's an explosion of interest and investment in hydrogen. Uh, do you think this will play an important role in enabling renewables investment by bringing some of that flexibility and creating demand for renewable power? And if so, again, what's, um, how quickly do you think? Do you think this is potentially an area that's overhyped in the short term? Obviously, there is a lot of interest in the hydrogen field and it, it has been growing extremely quickly uh, over the last few months. And we have uh, ourselves a growing interest in, uh, in hydrogen. Seen from the renewables uh, part of, uh, of the sector, obviously it's a, it's a potentially huge off-taker of green electrons. So we all uh, are pushing for the development of uh, green hydrogen. And seen from the industry, green hydrogen is, uh, can be a solution and will probably be a solution because uh, there are areas where you have no choice but to have green hydrogen if you want to decarbonize. So, and this is a very strong driver of the, the current interest uh, in hydrogen. Now, to be frank, I have uh, no uh, <laughs> specific insight and uh, to tell you when actually it will uh, reach uh, sufficient level of competitiveness to uh, uh, really uh, have extremely huge development. But for sure, it is part of the solution. And we are very active in this field, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to perhaps uh, finish on, uh, I suppose, a question that both uh, asks about your broad perspective, but also touches on your individual journey. So you spent uh, a fair amount of time in Asia, which is uh, touted by many to become the key destination of renewables investment in the 2020s, and Total is obviously active there. What will be the key lessons from your time in the region that you think could be particularly relevant to, to renewables investors today? Asia is a very significant area of deployment of renewables. China, India, and it's all throughout the rest of Asia. So it's, a, it's an area of significant interest for us. We are active in India. We are, we are active also in China, by the way. And we believe it will be uh, one of the drivers, significant drivers of the growth of renewables. Great. Well, this sounds like a, a natural point to finish. So we will leave it here. Uh, Julien, many thanks for coming to the show and uh, sharing your journey, total strategy, and your insights into, into an industry that you know through and through from various different angles. And all the best on achieving your grand ambition. Thank you. Many thanks. That was Mateusz Wonski, Head of Digital Solutions at Aurora, speaking to Julien Pouget, Senior Vice President for Renewables at Total. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.